0: This is the One Thing podcast where we teach you the surprisingly simple truth behind extraordinary results. My name's Jeff Woods. I'm the vice president here at the One Thing team. I remember sitting in a mastermind with Gary Keller, him looking out at the room and saying, "Anytime you are hitting up against a ceiling of achievement in your life, you're missing a person. Either in the form of a mentor or a coach." coach you to your possibilities, or in the form of leverage. You're missing people who can do, take things off your plate so that you can focus on your 20% to achieve extraordinary results. The purpose of this conversation you are about to hear today is to focus on the leverage side. Whether you are a business owner, an entrepreneur, whether you're a leader in an organization, or whether you're just on your own. You are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And if you want to live a big life, it's going to require that you succeed through others. Are you choosing the people that you bring into your life carefully? Carefully. Are you clear on the two to three things a person has to be able to do exceptionally well to remain inside your world? Otherwise, they're just not talent for that role. Are you clear on how you as a leader need to show up in the world so that you can coach your people to their possibilities? The man you're going to meet today, you've met before, back in episode 50. It's one of my most recommended episodes when we think of people say, oh, where should I start? I always tell them to go back to episode 50. So after you're done with this one, if you have not listened to it, go back there. And you know what? Go back there and do it anyway, because repetition's the mother of learning, baby. Let's dive deep. One suggestion for you, Gene's business is the business of real estate. He is in Keller Williams. We know the majority of you are not in real estate. We will encourage you when he is using analogies around his business to ask yourself the question, "How does this apply to my business?" What's the version of that for my world?" Because the lessons are agnostic to industry. And if you choose to apply them to your own, you'll be amazed at what you can accomplish. So with that, let's get
1: into this conversation with Gene Rivers. Gene, I'm, I'm curious,
0: you know, you're somebody I look to when I think about what does it mean to build a great team? What does it mean to hold your people accountable? What does it mean to coach them to their possibilities? You're just one of those names that comes up for me. And I'm curious with everything that's going on in your world right now, what's most present for you when you think about escalating the performance level of your team?
2: Well, it's it's probably the most fundamental and important thing, and it should happen right in the very beginning of the relationship, and that is we all need to remember that when people sign up for a job, when they say, yes, I'll come and work for you and that pay is okay, they're trying to get something more out of that opportunity than just pay. It's a stepping stone for something that they want in their life, something that's important to them. Uh, money may be a big factor in that, but there's still a purpose for the money. It's not just the money itself. And the more connected we can be to how our opportunity for them creates our opportunity for ourselves, the better off you can be in building a team. Mm. And it is, it is a truth that you should have some clarity about this if you're going to have effective accountability. Because I can't, I can't motivate anybody. I mean, I can't, Jeff, I can't, but what I can do and what is most important to do is help remind them why what they're doing within my organization, is helping them achieve with what they want within their own life view, what they're trying to get. Because when you talk about accountability, uh, it only has two facets to it. And the facets are pain or pleasure. (laughs) And accountability, uh, when done really well, is a delicate balance between knowing when somebody needs a carrot. And a carrot can be a very compelling thing, but sometimes people need to wake up, and then it requires a stick. And the carrot or the stick decision is based on your assessment of where someone's head is at at any given point, but the carrot or the stick are always about the goal that they have in mind working every day, the thing that gets them out of bed, gets them to the office and gets them to work hard and smart and creative and creatively. So I think it's really understanding their big why.
0: Mm. How do you go about understanding the big why of your people?
2: Well, for years, uh, (laughs) it was kind of random. (laughs) But uh, (laughs) once I got into the current company I'm in, Keller Williams has an incredible track record of developing hiring strategies, and the current version, career visioning, That the the key word in that is visioning. When you use career visioning as a process, there's obviously several steps that you go through before you get face-to-face with people. But once you get face-to-face with people that are true candidates, there's a very powerful uh, interview called the motivational interview. And it really does get them to discuss what would make it be perfect for them to work with you for three to five years and look back and say what made it perfect in terms of not just money their job but their personal growth and their personal relationships and when you get people to talk about that you'll discover everyone's on a mission everyone's got something big in their mind some people want to climb the seven tallest mountains some people want to just travel the world. Some people want to own a villa in Tuscany. Some people want a beach house. But when you get in touch with what people want and the role is one that has opportunity built into it, and there's growth and opportunity, then I can constantly remind them that they're one year away, two years away, three years away.
3: Mm-hmm. Gary
2: Keller has said something profound for many years it rings in my head all the time, which is you're, you're five years away from anything you want. Now, if that's true for me as a business owner, a business builder, and that is who he's talking to most of the time about this is, is the top people in the company, but that's got to be true for the people that I hire. If it's true for me, it's got to be true for them. And it won't be true for everybody that they're going to be thinking big. But the people I hire that are thinking big, that want big things out of their life, that are intelligent, and they are motivated, and they have integrity, the job is absolutely not about the paycheck. The job is about where am I going to be in three years if I take this job, or where am I going to be in five years? So there are people, this is just the blunt truth, there are people that take a job to get a paycheck because their big wine, their big view is to spend time with their family, pay bills, and enjoy life, however they define that. But there's another group of people that are the people that we're most interested in in general that are, quote, empire builders, and the empire they're trying to build is their own. And if I want to build my own empire, I've got to be standing shoulder to shoulder with at least one or two
0: other empire builders in my office. And they're trying to build their own empire. Make no mistake about it. We've used this word empire builder before, Gene. And, you know, people have asked me about this behind the scenes. They go, well, how do I know if if somebody's an empire builder? You know, how do I know that in in the interview process? And, you know, there's things you can look for. But ultimately, they have to demonstrate that they're an empire builder. I'm curious, what do you... At what point are you looking up and saying, Yes, they are an empire builder?
2: That's a great question. The truth is it always starts with the resume. Mm-hmm. When when you look at a resume and it passes the benchmarks of someone who you want to go forward with, then generally what I do is a phone a quick, quick phone discussion. Uh, about the resume, just to make sure I'm reading the resume right, because as you know, there are many different styles of resumes, mm-hmm. and some make, make the truth easy to see, and some kind of obfuscate the truth, kind of harder to see the truth, right? So uh, you might do the phone resume, but what I'm really looking at are three trajectories. Empire builders are literally going up. They are climbing up. And you can see it in their trajectory in three areas. You can see it, number one, in responsibility. How much responsibility have they sought and how much responsibility have they been given? And when people are empire builders, they're constantly taking and being given more responsibility. There's a point where when responsibility gets high enough, then you'll see they are actually given authority. And authority is a key signal about having an empire builder in front of you. So people are given more and more responsibility, and then they're given somebody to work with them under their direction in order to continue to grow their responsibility. So whether it's production of widgets or you know software technology or whatever, somebody who's great at what they do and they keep taking on other projects, there's a point where They can't do any more projects unless they have help. So then the company assigns somebody to work with them to help them with their projects. Mm -hmm. That's a a big sign of an empire builder. And then the third thing is compensation. Because if responsibility goes up, so should compensation. And with authority, there should be a, a tendency to bell curve compensation. Because now the company is getting leverage involved and a talented empire builder, and they will they will see the wisdom of not losing that person, and compensation tends to bell curve up Mm -hmm. when that happens. Studies of the cost of a bad hire kind of point to this. The cost of a bad hire at a lower level is about three times their salary, their annual salary. If you had them for a year and they're the wrong person, the cost of a leader the cost of a leader for one year who's not a good leader is 10 times their cost. Hmm. So that's that's a backward look at the the reflection that as responsibility and authority go up there's a point when authority shows up that compensation bell curves up. So I'm looking at what was their level of responsibility for their life. I mean you, and you can see this frankly in kids, you can see it in high school or in college where they not only got high grades, but they were also on, a, on an athletic team, and they were not only on an athletic team, but maybe they were the co-captain or the captain of the team. Right. They were not only in the anchor club, but they were the president of the anchor club, et cetera. So you, you, see, you see where they took responsibility of being in a club and being a member or being on a team, and I'm responsible for practice. And then they're awarded with, you know what? You're so good at what you're doing, dude, gal. We're going to put you in charge of other people. And then that, that marches right into the workplace. You see it, march right into the workplace, right out of college. And uh, those three things.
0: Here's one of the areas that I'm struggling right now. Um, I have recognized that following our process, you get so much clarity about what the job description is, you know, the two to three things they have to be able to do exceptionally well. Otherwise, they get fired, and you're hiring them for the 20%, not to master the 80%, but they have to knock the 20% out of the park. Yet, you only have so much vision for how the job is going to evolve. And I'm curious, as a leader, as somebody who has people who report to them, what are the habits that I need to be acquiring, Gene, so that I'm showing up fully? to coach my people to their possibilities. Cause frankly, I think that's an area, it's an area I got room for growth.
2: <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, we all do, but it, it really, there, I don't think there is a set answer. I, if I had to say one thing about it, I would say it's just keep checking in, keep checking in with them. The reality is really seriously talented people. Uh, you will hear very little from them. You know, what, what they do, about as well as anything is they solve their own problems. <laughs> so when they're when, when when they're going about the work day and they run into an issue, they don't wait to talk to, you know, quote the boss unquote. They don't come to the boss and say, "Gee, I have a problem." They take great pride in overcoming problems without going to the boss. In fact, they rather like not going to the boss. And in the old days, One of our earlier iterations of hiring, we call this a self-managed individual, that someone is in charge of their department 100%. They will err in spending too much time trying to solve their own problem instead of going to the boss, quote unquote. Because sometimes a virtue of solving your own problem can become a detriment if you get bogged down in the ego of, well, I'm going to get it figured out myself, doggone it, and I don't care how long it takes. Mm Mm-hmm. Sometimes you would actually be a better problem solver if you acknowledge there's a point where I need help. So by checking in, I think what you're really doing is assessing again, people that aren't talent will come to you with their problems all the time. All the time. People that are low talent don't come to you with their problems and they try to hide their problems. But people with talent are trying to solve their problems. And you will need to check in with them occasionally to see if they're getting bogged down and trying to be their own problem solver with a problem that just
0: one word of advice can help them. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I I think most business owners out there have never been given a proven system for hiring. And so they end up having a bunch of people on the bus that are not talent for the role.
2: Well, Well, the short answer for that is a weekly checkup. And in our world, a lot of what we do is around something called a four one one. You know, it's one year's goals, one month goals, and four weeks of activities. What the conversation about accountability, if you want to boil it down, accountability boils down to one of two things. It's either daily or it's weekly. Mm-hmm. And if it's weekly accountability, it means essentially, I need to know last week you had certain key objectives. Did you get them done? And if the answer is yes, then you say, awesome. Now, what are your objectives going forward for this week? And how can I help you? And if they said, no, I didn't get all my key objectives, then it is, okay, which objective did you struggle with? What was the nature of the problem? And what's your plan to not have that problem in the next seven days? And let me brainstorm that with you. Right. Now, the the, the simple truth is accountability is to make sure people stay on track. And, and when people don't stay on track, they won't hit certain metrics. Everything has to be measurable by a metric. So when you talk about accountability fundamentally, it has to be a, a number, a metric that is tracking progress in an activity or, uh, or goal. And that simple little metric should identify when a problem starts. We have, we have agents on our team and agents are supposed to talk to people <laughs> and they're supposed to talk to, yeah, there's an idea there, right? They're supposed to talk to 20 people a day. And in talking to 20 people a day, often they don't get to 20. They'll get to 15 or 18 or whatever. But if they miss five a day, every day of the week, that's 25 for the week. If they miss 25 for the month, that's a hundred for the month. If they miss 100 a month for 12 months, that's 1,200 they've missed. And if they do that, they will never hit their goals. And our challenge is to understand the best accountability is often very little pain, very little pain, because it's small. So if somebody misses 10 contacts three days last week and it's 30 and this week's goal is 20 a day or 100, then the question is, are you ready to work? evenings or are you going to work Saturday? Because you can easily fix this problem in a matter of a few hours, but where are you going to put the fix in this week? Because you Mm. still have the week's goals and now you have 30 more. Where are you going to fit it in? So four or five hours added to your week, you can fix this problem. But if you wait, if, if you're doing monthly accountability and we're up to 30 a week you miss for four weeks, that's 120. That's that that's a huge
3: mountain.
0: When we work with people in Living Your One Thing, we've introduced the idea of the 15 minute protocol or the, the one minute protocol. The idea that when you have your activities down to a number, and like you said, Gene, you fall behind five contacts a day. The moment you fall behind, there is a pre-planned <coughs> consequence. People really struggle to implement that. We share the idea with them and they struggle to implement it. How would you advise them? And why do you think that is? Oh, I think because they don't actually really want to implement it. I don't think they're actually committed to their goals. So where does that start? I love when this happens, by the way. (laughs) I mean, I'm not trying to flip the table on no, you, but... I, I, I love the table. Table flipping is my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I think, consider it done. Yeah, and, there we go. I think it starts... That's start- my holiday gift to you. Thank you very much. Um, You're where, welcome. where does that start? I think it starts with a lack of clarity on their why.
2: Yeah, it does. It starts in the very beginning. And, and it starts with a lack of tying the bow in the very, very, very beginning about what it is they want. I've had people that have been very clear about their big why, and it's summed up in some big single goal. They have other big why, like everybody wants to have a great family life. They want to have a life worth living often defined by their spouse, their children, and the experiences they have as a family. But it can often be embodied in something like getting a beach house. And I had somebody who wanted a beach house, and that was like very symbolic that they, they would have achieved professionally. They would have achieved uh, financially. They would have achieved in uh, focusing on their family and time spent together. And if they got the beach house, that would be the proof. That would be the actual embodiment of all of that stuff. So I think when you hire somebody, like in that scenario, the discussion day one would be congratulations. It's your first day on the path to getting your beach house. And today and going forward, I'm going to remind you regularly and consistently of what we're trying to accomplish. And the plan here is for you to make enough bonus money to put aside that in two and a half years, you're going to have the down payment and we'll purchase the beach house. Is this why you've taken this job along with everything else that comes with that? And the answer is often very clear and immediate. Absolutely. If If that can get done, this will be an amazing opportunity. And then from that point on, we're right back to talking about carrot or the stick,
3: mm-hmm. you know. And I've
2: had conversations, I've had conversations that go back and forth on that. So an example of of somebody who's not hitting their numbers would be, um, you know what? I think you and I both know you don't want to be chess. I mean, we talked about it, blah blah blah. It was you know a great thing for you to want and believe, but your numbers say very clearly, beach house is really not my thing. And if it is their thing, they immediately get aggravated and say, that's not true. That's not true. You shouldn't say that because that's just not true. I had a bad week. That's all bad week. mad week. Are these numbers going to get you a beach house? (laughs) I see what you're getting at. I see what you're getting at. Well, of course you see what I'm getting at. But what I'm really getting at is you in your gut, you didn't want to do the work because you and I know if you really want to do the work, you'll do the work because you've already done the work seven weeks in a row. Now this week you didn't do it. And you're telling me it's just a bad week. No, you didn't want to do it. If you didn't want to do it, maybe you don't want the beach house. Would you stop saying that you getting aggravated? Are you getting aggravated at me for pointing out these numbers won't get you the beach house. you ought to look in the mirror and get aggravated. That fool that's not doing what it takes to get the beach house. Don't get aggravated at me. Get ever, get aggravated at yourself. Can you fix these numbers this week? You want to prove to me that you still want the beach house. Can you fix these numbers this week? This week. I don't care how you do it. Can you fix them? Yes or no? Well, sure I can. Good. Fix it. Call me when it's fixed. And that's an example of the stick. But if somebody's hitting really good numbers and you want to continue to encourage them, because truth is people do 20 a day, but there are people who do 30 a day consistently. So if you want to plus it, uh, here here's an example of the carrot approach to the same scenario. So, you know, you had a really strong week. It's amazing. You didn't do the, the 20 a day. You didn't do the 100. You did 127. That's amazing. Do me a favor. Close your eyes. Close your eyes. You're at the beach. You're walking out past the dunes to the water. Your toes are crunching in the sand. Your ankles feel the warm water lapping over them. You smell the salt there. You turn around and look up past the sea oats waving in the wind. And you see the roof of your beach house. You know what? You're closer to that beach house now than you were just a week ago. Isn't that amazing? Why don't you keep this performance up? So that's the, that's the carrot and the stick approach about one goal that is emblematic of where they want to go. So what you said was they're not attached to their big Y. But that kind of scenario that I just went through of the yin and the yang is about attaching them back to that big why, because people do get distracted. They lose sight of the work you do here every day is the path. It is the only path for you to get what you want out of life. And I think what we don't do as well as we should is teach people the fundamentals of big success And one of the key issues is you need to be supremely successful in whatever role you're in. That is the key. It isn't the job you need is coming in the year or two. It is master the role you're in at this very moment. This is what you have to master, this role. If you're the receptionist, if you're a part of the cleaning crew, if you're a CEO, I don't care what role you're in. Your vision should be, I'm going to hit this role out of the park. No other role. If you're an agent who's supposed to call 20 people a day and you're supposed to write 60 contracts a year and close 30 of those minimum, you need to master that role. If you want one day to have your own team and, and, you know, gross a million and then net a million, all that starts with, you better hit it out of the park right now today Working with buyers, and it's a slog, but if you don't master the role you're in, you're not going to go to the next level.
3: Mm. And I think a
2: lot of people think a lot of people think I can just keep working and sooner or later, you know my ship's going to come in. Uh, no, it's not. No, it's not. You always have to swim out to the ship. The ship is not coming to you, you have to go to it, and it is about mastering the role that you're in. And that's something I don't think we we teach with enough force.
0: I want to ask a question to you who is listening to this. Where in your life are you viewing your current situation as a stepping stone? And you're hating on your stepping stone. Telling yourself the story that it's not what you want. That, oh, when I just get to that next level, then I'll be happy.
2: That's so
0: smart. That that was, that was profound for me, Gene. Uh, I remember when I was in medical device sales, and I was really telling myself a negative story around my job. And my mentor asked me why I was hating on my stepping stone. He's going, dude, everything that you're doing right now is setting you up for the next opportunity. Why are you hating on it? And that just that shifted everything. And it was about two months later that I ended up meeting Jay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah buddy.
2: Well that's it. That's it. People do need to really tie the dots the marching up that hill is dealing with the difficult single step that's right in front of you. If you don't get up that next foot on the mountain, you're not going to get to the top.
0: Let me ask you this you've you've had a lot of people come in your world, many have stayed not every some people have made themselves available to industry um, oh yeah. yeah. Empire builders are the exception. They're not the rule. When you have somebody in your world that is not presenting as an empire builder, do you just cut bait or do you give them the chance? Do you coach them to the possibility?
2: That's a, that's a complicated question because
0: <laughs> I'm a complicated guy.
2: It, it, yeah, yeah but, but I mean, it, it, it begs, it begs the necessity to deal with reality. And reality is, in all organizations, there is an internal path of increasing responsibility and authority that leads to the top. Mm -hmm. And if you think about it in terms of departments, every department, if there's 10 people in a department, they're all not necessarily going to be empire builders. And the fact is, there can be, quote, good workers who are not empire builders, but the good workers are necessary to get everything done that is necessary for the empire builder to climb and build
0: an empire. Then let me reframe. You are looking for an empire builder. The role that you brought that person on to fill is an empire building role, and they are not presenting as one.
2: Right. So the the hard truth is they may end up The language we use is kind of cul de sac. They may may end up on on the path and then suddenly they're on the side of the path and they're producing and they're valuable. They show up, they have great attitude, but the big D, the big driver, the big emotion of an empire builder is just not there. And a lot of people that you hire and interview uh, or interview and hire and bring into the organization their trajectory has got them to a point where they look to you like they're an empire builder. And if I bring them in, they're going to continue with that trajectory. But the truth is, if you've read, there was there, there was a book uh, quite some years ago called The Peter Principle. Mm. I don't know if you recall that book. Mm-mm. And it simply said in an organization, people tend to rise to their level of incompetence. And it just said you'll keep getting promoted until you won't get promoted. And once you see somebody who's risen to that point, but they've been in the current, you know, position for five years, they've probably hit their level of incompetence. Where beyond this, they don't perform well. It's too complex, it's too much responsibility, they're juggling too many balls, and they just can't can't seem to perform like they did at lower levels. So I think that's really true. I think the there are people in organizations that do quite important work but are not empire builders. It's the truth. And we have them in big companies are all over the place. I mean, you when you walk past all those cubicles and all those tech companies or in all the modern-day marketing companies and you see all those people, they're not all going to end up at the top. It's just not going to happen. And a lot of them are going to spend years in the company. And they don't get to spend years in the company without being valuable to the company in some sense. So I think you deal with this. Sometimes you bring people in that you thought were going to be an empire builder, and it ends up, eh, not so much. But there is a lot to like in the role they're in, but empire building, not so much. Mm -hmm. So I don't think that's a failure. I don't think that's a mistake. I think you can't always tell how much horsepower somebody's got under the hood until you get them in and start to tell them not oh, get out there and race. And then you start to find out. And some people surprise you. We, we've, uh, we've hired from within by hiring people at very low-level positions, and I mean the lowest-paid position, who get it. They master the role they're in, and we all start turning our heads, and can you believe her? She's amazing. All we wanted her to do was to answer the phones, and this is a real example. And what she did was she took her own initiative to start learning the technology that we utilize and helping the agents with it because they were always complaining, can someone help me with my e edge? Can someone help me with my with my website? And the answer was, well, there's nobody available right now. So she decided to become the person that they could go to. And then that person got promoted right up into agent services, you know, making double the amount of money they were making working at the front desk. And We have one person like that who's risen all the way up to become the the chief financial officer, the MC, the MCA of the company. So you hire people sometimes and we don't see it. And then the reverse is we hire people where we think we see it and we didn't. Yeah. (laughs) But if you got a big enough organization, well, if you have a big enough organization, this is going to happen to you. Yeah. It's just going to. You're going to get lucky and you're going to strike out.
0: If you are on the path to building a big organization and this is inevitable, what do you do when you realize that person may have reached their level of incompetence? What how do you test it? How do you try to coach them to that next level to truly see are they at the level that they're at?
2: Well, you're back to you know, weekly accountability and when people start and and the way you see what you've described is generally They just consistently aren't quite hitting the numbers weekly. Mm -hmm. It's just not happening. And then the, if you really want to have change, either they got to step up or step out, then you go from weekly accountability to daily and daily accountability is painful. So if someone understands that their metrics are not acceptable, you know, one week you hit them, the next week you don't. The next week you don't. The next week you you do minus one. Uh, this is not acceptable. You know the standard that we have is the minimum number in order for you to achieve your goals, and you're not getting that. You're not. You're not only not doing superior performance. You're not doing the the performance necessary to complete the goal that we hired you to do. So we're gonna we're gonna fix this or you're going to self-discover and I'm going to self-discover that this is not the right fit for you. And we're going to do this by daily accountability. This means more work for me. So do not think I'm taking any pleasure in this because I frankly don't have a lot of time. But you and me, we're going to find out whether this is a good fit. Just tell me one thing. Do you want to stay in a role that you're continually struggling and failing in? Or do you want to find something where you're going to be a success, which is what you truly are? (laughs) And everybody says, well, I want to be successful. So great. So now we're on a daily path to find out, is this really possible for you here in this role? And the amount of time I'm willing to put into this is a maximum of 30 days. So you will report to me every single morning about what you're going to do that day. And you'll report to me every single evening before you go home about what you accomplished. And we're going to find out pretty quick. Now, the people, here's the, the truth. The people that aren't the empire builder, they will self-discover and generally opt out in a matter of weeks. It will not take long. It just doesn't take long because if they truly are at their ceiling, if they're, if they're Peter Principled out, you know, we're now at their, at their level of confidence. They're never going to get it. It's not going to happen.
3: Mm.
2: So it, it, it just turns out to be pain in the morning, pain in the evening, pain in the morning, pain in the evening, pain in the morning, pain in the evening, and they self-discover this is just not a good fit for me anymore. Mm-hmm. I've had someone very recently who just did that. The accountability got higher and higher and higher, and they just backed out.
0: Well, I was going to say where, where I've realized... um, my growth opportunity is, is to have clarity as the business owner on what the right activities are. It, it's yep. easy. Cause just yep. cause yep. Y- you naturally want to move so fast. You bring the person in, you just keep running that uh, I have not done a good enough job to slow down and really have clarity on. These are the two to three things they have to be able to do exceptionally well. And I will know they are doing it exceptionally well because they are doing this specific activity that is measurable consistently.
2: I think that's absolutely right. And I think it rarely gets put into play, at least in the real estate agent world, it rarely gets put into play in a direct manner like it should be. I'll give you a simple example. We we hire agents all the time. And I could do this with admin, but agents are very simple to see the the analogy. You hire agents all the time, and agents have uh, their 20% is talk to people, have appointments, sign clients, and get fully executed contracts. And that's their 20, start to finish. But the very first thing is talk to people, and the second thing is have appointments. So when you look at the talk to people, I I don't know what... All teams do when they bring people on, but what they should do is tell them day one, when you come in, bring a list of everyone that you know. We call it your MET database, but just bring a list of everyone you know and their their phone numbers. And then when they show up, you say, good morning, so glad you're here. What we're going to do today is introduce you to the team and some basic organizational structure issues, you know, where you park your car and blah, blah, blah. And we're going to cover all that. Uh, But in addition, uh, this morning, we're going to take about two hours, and you and I are going to, for 15 or 20 minutes, we're going to go over a script, and you're going to start using that list of names and phone numbers that you brought in, and you're going to call them. And you're going to say, hi, this is Gene Rivers. I'm so excited to tell you I've joined the Rivers team. I'm going to be working with them to help people have tremendous success in the acquisition of wonderful homes or in the sale of properties so that they can move up the ladder in their life. The Rivers team has four value propositions that they bring to every consumer of real estate services. I'm going to share those with you. Um, And I'd like you to be thinking while I share those with you, who do you know, family member, friend, or coworker that I could help, that you would help me launching my career on the Rivers team, that I could help in the buying or selling of real estate? So here's the value proposition. Now, when we're done with that call, and I'm going to be sitting listening to you, You're going to be putting their name into the computer. You're going to be putting in their data. These are your mets. Are they married? Do they have kids? What do they do for a living? Where do they work? You're going to be putting their data in. And when you talk to them, you're going to do two things. You're going to collect data related to buying or selling themselves or referring you to somebody who is buying or selling. And you're going to record that data in the computer file on their notes. And then you're going to set the next point of contact based on the data you just collected. So they tell you they know somebody at work who they think is buying a house, and they're going to go find out who it is, and you're going to call them back on Monday to find out uh, who that person is and their phone number. So you're going to do this for at least 10 names. We're going to practice a script. You're going to get through 10 names in that list. So you're going to be talking to people. You're going to be connecting, you're going to be collecting data, and you're going to be setting next point of contact. Now that will be the backbone of your job. And you're going to do that every day for the rest of your career on the Rivers team <laughs> as a buyer's agent. Do you have any questions?
0: <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, and well, my, that's it. I know. And my question for the people who are listening is because the vast majority of you are not in real estate. You just heard Gene's system, right? That is that is that is the backbone of someone's job. What's your system? Yeah. What's your version of the script? You heard it for the right. Rivers team. And what's, what's, and yours? what's The twenty. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: yeah. So if you made a mistake, here's what's going to happen: the leader, the leader needs to sit there and listen, and just listen. And then give pointers or give advice because some people that are really capable are are going to struggle a little bit up front. Some people are going to struggle just because you're listening and watching them. Others are going to struggle because they're a little new to the script concept. But you'll find out literally in a matter of days whether this person is a good fit or not. And if they're a really good fit, the conversations are fun. You'll find yourself laughing when you listen to them because they're good at connecting with people. And connecting with people often involves laughing. So there'll be a lot of good data collected and you'll watch them get into the rhythm of doing the thing that will get them ultimately to a beach house. Mm -hmm. That's the thing they have to master.
0: Well, let's do this, Gene. Before we wrap, let's assume the people who are listening to this already have people in their world. They're already on the team and they have not, done as good of a job as they could have in terms of identifying their why, really filtering them, establishing the standards on the front end, bringing accountability, and they look at where they are today. They're holding their cards. What's the one thing they can do such that by doing it, will allow them to move forward with their team?
2: If I understood your question right, if they have talent, but they haven't been holding them accountable, didn't really train them well or whatever. Yep. But they look at them and I, I got a group of good people here, but nobody's performing the way they could, in yep. my opinion. Yes. Yeah, the best, the one thing, rehire them. Rehire them. You apologize to them and you say, you know what? I think you have a lot of talent and I think I haven't done the best job I could in getting you into a high performing mindset. So I want to go back to the very beginning And I want to reconnect with you. I'm going to take you through a process where we're going to get great clarity on what the role is, on what the 20% of your job is. I'm going to get clarity on, on what are you doing here? What do you want out of this? Where are you trying to go in your life? And then you and I are going to set expectations all over again. We're going to get great clarity on work hours, on job duties, on responsibilities. And then you and me and everyone in here is going to get back to work again. And if in the process of rehiring you, you decide this is not a good fit for you, that is awesome. And I encourage you to to really deal with this. And if you're not the right fit, you're not helping yourself by staying here, and you're not helping me by staying here. So that's what we're going to do. And the reason that's important, Jeff, is the, a whole lot of us have people that we're not holding them accountable to face the reality of whether this is the right fit for them. Mm-hmm. We just tend to want to motor along and you know ignore them and deal with other more pressing matters. Mm-hmm. But the fact is there's nothing more pressing than dealing with the reality that who you surround yourself with is going to have more to do with what you get than what you do. The most important thing you do is choose carefully, carefully, carefully who you surround yourself with.
0: Well, there you have it, my conversation with Gene Rivers. Folks, you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Are you choosing who you seek your guidance from carefully? There's a reason that we reached out to Gene for this conversation. (laughs) And by now, you know the reason. (laughs) Who do you have in your life that can have these types of conversations with you? You know, hopefully we've earned the right to be one of those voices for you. That's why we do this show. Our question for you is out of everything you just heard, where are you going to take action? I think for a lot of you, this was a healthy dose of looking in the mirror and realizing, oh my goodness, I have not done a good job. Or we'll say it more positively. I have a lot of opportunity for growth. So here's a few questions for you. What are you currently doing that's helping your people achieve their life's goals? And here's the flip of it. What are you doing that's stopping your people from achieving their goals? From the conversations I've had with other business owners, it's we have this, many of us want to be liked. We want people to like us, we want relationships to be happy, and we can avoid having the tough conversations that need to happen. What I have learned from my partners is that when you have somebody in your world, they are investing their most valuable resource, their time working with you. Are you contributing toward their goals or are you contaminating their goals by allowing them to remain in your world when it's not the right fit? And if so, why would you do that to somebody? Would you benefit from having the real conversation with yourself around what the role really requires? What are the standards for performance? Not what's amazing. What's the minimum standard to achieve the goal? Are you clear on what the metrics are, the activities? Are you bringing the focus and the accountability to the table so that the day they are off, they know they have to make it up? Because those little gaps, those little slivers where they've missed goal day after day after day add up to something they'll never make up. And then you are literally stealing their dreams from them. What's the one thing you can do based on this episode such that by doing it would allow you to show up as a better leader? What's the one thing you can do such that by doing it would allow you to coach your people to their possibilities? Like we mentioned in the middle of the episode, if you would like to have the model for this handed to you on a silver platter, that is living your one thing. Go to the theonething.com slash membership. And ultimately, the highest form of accountability is having a coach. Gary has a coach. Jay has a coach. I have a coach. It's why we are creating a coaching company behind the one thing. If that's of interest, email me, Jeff at the one thing.com. Folks, thank you for listening to this episode. If this has helped you, please share it with somebody. Thank you for subscribing so all future episodes are automatically downloaded to your device. And we look forward to being with you in the next episode.